Hello and welcome to another RTE Film Podcast. It is Ben and Jacob here with you today. No Charlotte, but we hope Charlotte is going to be back with us soon. Ben, this is very exciting. I can see you on your camera right now through Zoom. You just look buzzing, mate, because they're back. Cinemas are back open here in the UK. Woo! Yeah, no, it's it's a weird thing because I've been six times, yeah, since six they reopened. In, in how many weeks? Like two weeks? Two weeks. I I had exam period, so it's been my exam period. That's why we haven't recorded. So I went yeah. twice the day it opened. Also Does, been my exam period. Yeah, that? and Charlotte's as well. So I went yeah. twice the day it opened, then I couldn't go, and now I've seen five films in five days again. Hit me, Ben. What films have you seen and uh, am i right in thinking that we're going to be talking about every single one you've seen including the father which you've literally just got back from viewing uh, in today's podcast so ben what's coming up so in order we've got godzilla versus kong had to be the first best picture winner nomadland we'll finally be talking about that um we've got cruella which that's a great film uh tv wise the friends reunion Oh yes, got to talk about that, of course. What else have you I, seen? I actually watched it, which I think I surprised myself with. And you actually liked it, then? I wasn't going to spoil that bit now. Uh, <laughs> to be fair, um, I was going to leave that as a big reveal. Um, yeah, no, I surprisingly liked it. I mean, it could have been half the length and without James Corden, but there were bits I could watch. Like, I mean, let's get to that more later, Ben. What else is coming uh, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, the new Conjuring film. A Quiet Place 1 and 2, because I watched them back to back, which is how you should watch them. And The Father, which, as we just said, I just watched, and I had so many thoughts on Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, Ben, and just before we get to The Father, uh, you have warned me that it's It's very emotional. It's very emotional. There were five guys crying in the men's toilets immediately afterwards, including me, which is the first uh, time I... Were these grown men? Yes, yes, I was definitely the youngest one of them. By, by probably 30 years. I like that. I actually really like that. I know. Um, there's, it, it was also very funny because, like, I, I always say that with A Star Is Born, it's the only time I've ever left the cinema with everyone crying. But with The Father, I could just hear sobs throughout the last half hour. Like, there was a lot of sobbing in that screening room. But I think wow, we need very... to start how I started. Yes, let's start, Ben. Godzilla versus Kong. Ben, what do we think of this film, mate? I mean, I think it's the it's the film on this list that you most need to see in cinemas because um, right. the title pretty much says what it is. Uh, basic... Oh, Godzilla versus Kong. Oh. Yeah, Godzilla versus King Kong. It's an action film about two giant CGI monsters fighting. And um... was the CGI good? Oh yeah, it's brilliant. I mean. The Kong CGI is less good than the Andy Circus one, but the film looks bloody amazing. And the action sequences are phenomenal. I mean, I saw it two weeks ago. I can't remember the plot. Um, I'm not sure if there was one other than just randomly stringing events to get Godzilla fighting King Kong. But when they fought, it was pretty magnificent. And um, Millie Bobby Brown was good in it. Bright. Love her. Uh, I have no clue what her relationship to the plot was. Um, she just ran around Tokyo, it seemed. She literally moved across the entire world at one right. scene. Yeah. Um, then you have Alexander Skarsgård from Big Little Lies being a rough and tough action hero. Um, I do need to say the little girl, the little deaf girl, and there's multiple films on this list where we have deaf children. 
Um, she was phenomenal as the heart, as the only person who could communicate with King Kong. See, this is interesting because normally you don't like child actors. No, I normally don't mind child actors. It's just normally child actors are quite terrible. Like, there are a lot of bad child actors out there. They're getting yeah. better. Like, it's weird. I think directors are getting better at working with children. Because certainly if you watch child actors 20, 30 years ago, they were not there. I also think it might have something to do with the fact that we have lots of... We have more actresses now who are mothers in big roles. Yeah. And more older women. And I think as cast dynamics... Just of, more women in general. Yeah, but it's... Um, who was... Who's the actress? There's a really famous actress. It might be Angelina Jolie, who the day after she won her Oscar in her 30s was offered the role of a grandmother, like, in her 30s. And um, so we do... That was always the way with Hollywood. Women in their 30s and 40s were playing grandmothers. Also, it was the same with black dudes. Morgan Freeman first played an old man at the age of 34. So... um, like, I mean, Morgan Freeman did look old, very young. <laughs> I mean, he also acts like an old man. But, um, yeah, so, but I think there's more maternal sense on sets. I think there are safer places, which is why child actors are better. I also think, you know, even men having more of a, like, hands-on role with children in this day and age. Uh, and, you know, even little things like that really resonates through film. And I absolutely Yeah, love it. it's uh, God's, yeah. And the child actress really was the heart and soul of Godzilla vs. Kong. And because of her, you naturally rooted for Kong. I think most people watching the film were Team Kong. I was Team Kong. I was Team Kong going in. Uh, I started booing Godzilla because I was the only one in the screening room at 12. You were the only one in the screening room? It was 12.30 on a Monday. I don't think that's too unexpected. I was like, I was like, oh, Kong, Kong, Kong. And what we learned... See, Ben, the thing is, before I would have doubted that uh, you'd uh, be at a private uh, screening, like, actually shouting, but... When we joined this joined this Zoom meeting, you didn't realise I was here, and you were watching How I Met Your Mother, I believe, but there was a song playing, and you were just bobbing. bobbing yeah, I was just dancing to the Nothing Suits Me Like a Suit song because you weren't your camera wasn't on, so I wasn't aware you were here. But uh, yeah, it's a great film, and what we learnt, yeah, because I genuinely think this film is impossible to spoil because it's so off the walnuts. Yeah, um, right. Godzilla beats Kong. Robot. Uh, Robot Godzilla beats Godzilla, and if you've charged his heart up with a spaceship, Kong will beat Robot Godzilla. So that's how they made the definitive ending. Because that's not confusing at all. <laughs> uh, ben, uh, out of five stars, how many stars would you give Godzilla versus Kong? Um, if you watch it at home, which I know lots of people will have been able to have done because it's been available at home in March probably a two three stars if you watch it in the cinema it's a solid five stars on the big screen because it's batshit mental (laughs) and that is where you're meant to watch the film and i genuinely think it is the case with all of these films yeah godzilla versus kong is the only one i've seen i've seen at home but it's the case with all of these films i think they're significantly better in the cinema i think it's a better place to watch films so uh it's there is a different ranking with this film definitely and I the love same. how much Ben loves cinemas. Like, I love a cinema, but uh, compared to Ben, oh. Yeah, so... Ben, that... are you going to get married in a cinema? No, but I might end up living in one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, the next film, which I saw immediately after Godzilla vs. Kong. Uh, okay, was a... this I'm about 2.30 on a Monday? 
uh, about five o'clock on a Monday. Right. Were you, there was a few others in the screening? Yeah, there were more. I mean, it was the one, it had just won Best Picture, Nomadland. Yes, lots uh, of hype about it. A bit of a tonal 360, because it was released on Disney+. Plus. Is it as good as, you know, we, we hoped, Ben? Yes, I would say. Right. It was released on Disney+, Plus. I think, two weeks beforehand, but I refused to watch it there. I saved it for cinemas. Um, yeah. I think it's the case with Nomadland and The Father, which I watched in the cinema. I'm not going to judge them against the six Best Picture films. I didn't, because... That frankly seems a little bit unfair, because right. it's easier to watch a film in the cinema, and yeah. films are better there. So that's where these films were made to be watched. But Nomadland is beautiful, beautiful. Um, it stars Frances McDormand as Fern, a woman who, after the financial crash happens, her the factory in her town breaks gets shut down and it's the uk equivalent of her postcode literally went off the map right it became a ghost town yeah so she spent all of her life savings which were in her house which crashed um on an old rv and traveled around america in it that sounds nuts it's it's something she traveled around the whole southwest uh of south southern America, all the really beautiful places. I have to admit, a little bit of me watched Nomadland and thought, maybe I should pack up my life, get an RV, I can't drive, so that's the problem, and just drive around the world and be a nomad. And also, we're in the middle of a global pandemic, you can't get to America. No, but I thought I could just drive around the UK. I mean, there's plenty of pretty sights. I mean, there's there's enough in Dorset alone. Um, Yeah. But, um... Yeah, it's it is a really beautiful film. Chloe Zhao, she just shot so many American West shots, so many landscape shots, which are beautiful. It right. has the score by Ludrido. Um, I can't say his name, but he's he's that Italian guy who you hear all his classical music. Um, Beethoven. No, uh, contemporary. Ben's googling this. Ben, I to be honest with you, I don't know if the RCT Film Podcast listeners are going to care too much about a music composer. No, it's because he also did the music for the father, and um, it's by Ludvico Einardi, um, who's done some really beautiful music. Uh, I listen to his music on Spotify all the time. Um, okay. And they used old songs of his and put them throughout the movie, which gave it a really beautiful tone to listen to. Um, they also did this really cool thing where they had real-life nomads literally telling their own stories on screen. And Fern was, like, almost a medium for this documentary to play out of people telling their stories. It is, it's a really beautiful film. It deserved Best Picture. I do believe that, honestly. There we go. Ben, I was about to ask, I know you're not, like, saying the Best Picture thing, but do you think you deserved it? And you I, just I, I'm not, like... I was and worried. I'm kind of I was... glad it deserved it because obviously we watched the best the, the films up for best picture and break them down here on the podcast, and uh, there are a lot of shocking ones. So I'm glad. I'm glad Nomadland. Was no, good. Nomadland is really, really. It's not a film you would like. It's not a Jacob film. Um, it doesn't have enough action and it doesn't really have a plot. But yeah, a Jacob film. But to just sit in the cinema for an hour and forty five minutes 
and watch a woman meander through life is really quite a nice experience. And that's why I know my math. It, it's five stars. I'm giving. I'm gonna be giving five stars out all over. You're the very place. generous today. I feel like this is because you, you know, the cinemas are back open. I feel like if the cinemas never shut, you wouldn't be as generous. Yes, I find I'm having. I've been to watch six films in two weeks, and I'm still really getting a buzz every time the really? film starts. I uh, know. I, I couldn't. No, honestly, but I'm still. I'm still no excited. I'm my excitement still hasn't worn off, which is odd. And I've, I cried in three of these films. Plus yeah, the which one did you cried in? Nomadland, A Quiet Place Part 1, and The Father. Um, Why did you cry in Nomadland? It's, it's a very beautiful piece. It's very right. philosophical, and there's a lovely line in it that in this life we don't say goodbye. We just say, see you down the road. And because they're all nomad la- nomads, they all see each other down the road in this little community. And I, that just really touched me. I don't me. think I'd cry at it. But... <laughs> no, but in the context of the film, it's really touching and sweet. And I do think I've started saying see you down the road because it's such a lovely way of not saying goodbyes. And in the end, we don't say goodbye because we all link up. Anyway, I truly also, believe. Also, rather than saying see you down the road, see you soon. Or, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll see you again. Yeah, I mean, I just think there's something beautiful about seeing you down the road because we're all on journeys. And that's what Nomadland is. It's a woman's journey. It's and it's inspired Ben to go on a little road trip, which we love. Uh, Once ben, I get my driving licence. Yeah, when you get your driving licence, how many times have you had the test and failed? Five, six. <laughs> oh, dear. The police lost count. That's never a good time. When's your next test, by the way? Mid-August. I'm, I'm, not gonna say, I'm not going to say any more on air. Okay, all I'm going to say on air is that I'm going to guess two years ago, give or take, um, Ben said, oh, I just failed my driving test with something like 10, ma- uh, 10 majors or something. No, it was 18 months ago and with 19 majors. Okay. And, and if I, I fail this driving test, I have to redo my theory. Oh my god! <laughs> so I've, I've slow. I ha- each of them have got better. Yeah. So if yeah. if by the steady improvement, this one should be the pass. But um, I'm not resting on my laurels. Uh, the thing is, Ben. Um, also, uh, just going back to the uh, the eighteen majors or whatever. Minors, minors. No majors that tried. Actually, one no, major that tried. Okay, but, uh, okay, okay. But uh, you were like, yeah, I've already rebooted my test. I was like, oh, when? Two or three months? And you were like. Sooner than that, two weeks. <laughs> no, no, it was not. It was like six weeks, yeah. And that date was March the 25th, 2020. March the 24th, 2020 is a day that we'll all remember as locking down. And then you will not believe what happened. In January the 6th, 2021, I had oh, a driving test book. And we locked down that week again. It's happened to me twice. So, Ben, I kind of don't want you to have another driving test. And then I April... Feel like that's going to mean one thing. Lockdown. Yeah. And then, yeah, my driving test was moved from January to April the 13th, yeah, which was the day they were going to re-allow driving tests to happen. But they then suddenly realised I couldn't sit the test. This is a sore patch. Um, because we've not had... Because I wouldn't have had 10 days to be able to have lessons. So I was moved from being in the front of the queue all the way to the back. Stupid. 
banking system. And I feel like Ben is still annoyed by that. So let's just go back to talking about your love for cinemas. Ben, what film have we got next, mate? Uh, it's Cruella. It's available in cinemas for seven quid or on Disney Plus Premium Access for 30. Um, <laughs> 30 quid to watch a film on Disney Plus that you already pay for? You that can, sounds like it's worth it. You can, um, you can ben, genuinely it get worth a... It? It's definitely worth the seven quid in cinemas is it it's worth if you have like a family of five i think that is maybe when but you need or to have like, like your son or daughter's the main part <laughs> you need like a full cruella watch along party to pay the disney pass fee um so the film stars emma stone as well you all know who cruella de vil is um but it's her origin story she starts ooh. Ooh, um, she starts as Estella, a young woman in London who believes she killed her, um, believes she killed her mother one day, um, and she's in became friends with these two robbers, Jasper and Horace. Horace, played by Paul Waterhouser, um, who has the world's worst London accent on screen. But it doesn't matter. Worse than Dick Van Dyke. Oh, it's a proper Dick Van Dyke accent. Right. I mean, it's it's genuinely hilariously bad. But it's funny and it works with the character, so I so it actually made the whole thing better. Um, and Estella, she wants to be a fashion designer. She's very talented. You see, she's got an eye from it. From she makes these elaborate disguises for when they rob. I can never people. take anyone with the name Estella seriously. I just think of the beer. Oh yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of the name Estella, but we all know why because her mother, when she was young, said, "Don't be Cruella." be a Stella. So that's the terrible thing behind the name. Um, anyway, she, long story short, ends up working with the Baroness. Baroness Ooh. von Hammersmith, played wonderfully by Emma Thompson, who, um, she's the more traditional Cruella de Vil character. Emma Thompson probably needs an operation on her jaw now for, from all the che uh, scenery chewing she did. She hammed it up to the roof and was so brilliantly narcissistic and evil, and every scene with her was eminently watchable, um, brilliant antagonist. Um, yeah, so, uh, and she ends up working for this evil fashion designer, Baroness von Hammersmith, who we know was there the night of her mother's death, and dun, we dun, know dun. the only other person with her talent is Estella. And there is a twist that I don't want to spoil, no, because I feel like you spoil everything else on the movie, so don't spoil the No, twist. no, no, those are the basic plot points. Um, yeah, but right. this is a twist that, if you've watched any film ever, you will probably be able to spot within 30 minutes. Um, is and it a good twist, though? Did it work? Because I it, feel like some twists are put in there just for the sake of, oh, there's a it twist. It worked for the narrative, and it worked twice. for Cruella's development, and it made her character more obvious. Now, Emma Stone is having brilliant fun as Cruella, so is Emma Thompson. The scenes between them are electric. They're great fun. I laughed out loud multiple times. It's very darkly comedic. Um, it's slightly darker than the two fat, the mid-noughties. Um, no, the 90s 101 Dalmatians remake with Glenn Close, where she was really hammy and camp and almost took the piss out of the character and it was comedic, but this is a darker, more serious tone set in 1970s London, which I liked. I think it works more for adults. I have heard the comparison, it's Devil Wears Prada meets Joker, 
maybe a hundred times. I think it's probably quite a fair comparison. Um, right. Because Emma Thompson really is doing the Joker arc. She's better at it. She's wonderful in it. Cruella is brilliantly off the rails by the end of the film. Um, there is a scene where she's riding around London on a trash bin, uh, bin lorry, in a massive dress that's like the size of a wedding dress that's made out of trash. Um, yeah, and Emma Thompson is a bit like the Meryl Streep character from Devil Wears Prada. The costumes are worth the money themselves. Um, if there is not a world, there is not a world where these costumes don't win the Oscar next year. It would be the most ridiculous thing ever because the costumes are so beautiful. It's London, high fashion, and these costumes are so eloquent and beautiful and wonderful. Like, they're amazing, and Emma Stone and Emma Thompson constantly look beautiful in them, and they help them. They help the characters elevate the out- outfit. The one thing I will say about this film, I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. I thought the performances were great. I thought the costumes were great. I thought it sounded great. I thought it looked visually stunning. It's two hours and 25 minutes. To put it in context, yeah, that's both The Quiet Places are only 15 minutes longer. So it's a really long film. And the editing is not good. Like Really? Yes. It is... How so? The film should have got more... It should have been more scissor-happy. I mean, I, I think if I was an editor, I would be pretty brutal. Like, I would cut everything to 90 minutes. I would... I'd watch films and go, I'd cut that, I'd cut that, I'd cut that. But um, the film is probably half an hour too long. Scenes play out for too long. Scenes that shouldn't be there are there. Um, it makes... it highlights the other faults when the film is too long i always find yeah. but but what's deeply frustrating is craig galipsky who direct he's a good director and he did do good direction here his last film i Tonya, was short and snappy and feisty and fast-paced and he's right. working with the same editor here and if it if and that editing nearly won an oscar and if cruella had that snappy fast-paced brutal comedic editing it would be a knockout masterpiece film that we would probably be talking about for Oscars contention. Instead, so what what went wrong? Like, why did this this happen? You know, it, it shouldn't have. If they've you know, I think they before. got I think they got too attached to a number of scenes, um, which is understandable. But I think I, mean, I think they ben, needed someone. This objective. this brings us really nicely onto the Friends reunion because I know we're talking about that in a minute, but. You know, the, the Friends writers were talking about, however, if there was a scene they really liked or a joke they really liked, if, you know, the live audience they filmed with, it didn't land with them, they would cut it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not... It's hard, because every scene was wonderful and great, and every outfit was great, but it was just... When it all added... Like, I genuinely think the first 20 minutes, which is has young Cruella could have been done in about eight um i actually think you could have you wouldn't have lost that much if you only used that material in flashbacks i think you wouldn't have lost anything from the film if that wasn't there at all um or was sprinkled in throughout the movie that's kind of you know the um the second shot in the chocolate factory the one with johnny yes those flashbacks that kind of thing yeah it would have been so much better if they if the opening bits were sprinkled throughout the middle of the film. Um, 
Then the second and third act kind of lose their way a bit. They kind of go through similar beats and motions a bit quite often. Yeah, it, it gets a long time to get going. And once it gets going, it seems to stop. But it does have, but that's okay. Because it looks brilliant, it sounds brilliant, the costumes are insane. And the two Emmas, yeah, give the most wonderful, camp, funny, hilarious, scenery-cheering performances. I would say you should, you should, you absolutely have to go and watch this film in the cinema. Because it is brilliant. Uh, um, let, me, let me have a guess, five stars. Uh, no, because I did talk about the editing being sloppy. 4.5. 4.5. I mean, you know, and I, I love how it's worth pointing out to the listeners that Ben did that whole review completely off the cuff with zero notes. So fair bloody play to you, Ben. I, I wrote a review of it. So, like, okay. also, I am on deep. I'm deeply in Emma Stone's Stan Twitter. I am, you know, when you get to those pages and it's all those videos hardcore fans have made. Yeah, I just yeah. get so many of them showing on my feed. And it's like my I don't Twitter. Know if that's a good thing or slightly. My creepy. Twitter feed is now Emma Stone as Cruella and Keanu Reeves. So um. So Ben was a fan, Bob. Sloppy editing. Uh, still to come on today's edition of the Arctic Film Podcast, we're going to be talking about A Quiet Place One and Two, plus The Father, and uh, and more as well. Ben, can I talk about the Bad Batch? Uh yeah. For like two seconds. Yeah. Um, the Bad Batch, Ben, obviously you're not watching it. Really strong opening episode, but since then the episode's just getting prog- progressively worse, mate. Yeah, I've, I heard from, I think Grace Randolph from behind the trailer said she thinks it's gone off the rails, and I've not seen anyone talking about it on Twitter. Uh, I think it is a bit of a Star Wars misstep, as that franchise yeah. seems to do quite often. It's just become a bit stale, unfortunately. Anyway, Ben, that's my you know bad batch over and we can get back on track and i won't get told off uh let's talk about the friends reunion so ben you actually quite liked it mate okay and, and long-time listeners of the podcast know that ben hates friends and you know i love it yeah so with the friends reunion it's probably worth noting i came in expecting to literally drown myself in a bath halfway through my expectations right. could not have been any lower my expectations could not have been any lower. <laughs> Wait, they couldn't be any lower? I don't know if you made that clear. Going in, yeah, I thought I was yeah. going to hate it. And then right. you had the opening scene oh, of them that was back, sad. Them back on bad. the set talking. And all of those bits, all of the old friends talking about an experience they had together, I could have watched for hours. I really like the five actors in all their non-friend six, stuff. Six. Six. I really like the six actors. Uh, I must have... Go on, who don't you like? No, I think I must have got one of Courtney Cox or Matt Perry. Um, Because but, but I really like the actors. I could watch them for hours talk. Um, and they I really like the... Actors. Yeah, I really like the bits when they were on set. Um, I just say, I love how... Um... <laughs> Matt LeBlanc was the best looking in the cast, but now he's like aged the worst. <laughs> No, I think, let's, let's be fully honest. Matt LeBlanc's the only one who's not had surgery. Do you think? Yeah, I also think there is a certain element of the fact that him and Matt Parry, who did look considerably what the worst, yeah, and then Courtney Cox also didn't look good. 
Yeah. What about <laughs> No, but you could rank the friends in order of who's let themselves go the most on whose career has gone the most. So, like, it was Lisa Kerdrew and Jennifer Aniston who looked the best. And they're the two who... David Schwimmer looked good as well. He looked like he had an age, really. Yeah, which is odd because, you know, those NatWest adverts he's in. I always yeah. watch them and go, God, you've aged. <laughs> <laughs> I always watch them and think, wow, he's... But, like... There was genuinely a correlation between the more they've aged, the less work they get. <laughs> um, I mean, about the blog, you know, did Top Gear for a bit of that? I went to shit. I mean, it's, it, Matt LeBlanc has, to be fair, he does like a sitcom, which will run for five years, and then he'll move on to another one. And he only works on like one project every five years, which is fair, I respect. Um, he was also I good on Top Gear. He's I also like funny. He is funny. Um, but it's a, the reason Jennifer Aniston and Lisa Kirby look the best because they are also I, the best actors. So. Yeah, um, but Ben, Friends reunion. You said it was a bit too long. Yeah. Did you not feel that it was like an hour and forty minutes? No, I didn't. Could did you not watch it when like James Corden was on and you're like. I do not want to watch this. See, I thought James Corden was really good at it, actually. I was, I, I like James Corden, but I was sitting there going, the stuff I really like is all four of them reminiscing in a natural conversation. Six of them! All six of them. <laughs> um, this shows just how much I dislike friends. I don't know how many of them there are. <laughs> like, I really like those. I really like the bits with the creators talking about how they made oh, the show. No, I thought, that was really good, wasn't yeah, I thought, it? As a I thought, TV when fan, I was watching that, I thought, this bit's right up Ben Street. Yeah, that, that those bits were. But what I didn't like was every time they had a celebrity who was not in the original show talking about... The I, catwalk was okay. Yeah, the catwalk was okay. But still, I didn't like the Lady game. Gaga didn't need to come on and sing. Yeah. Kit Rick... <laughs> The guy from Game of Thrones didn't need to... David Beckham didn't need to be there. Yeah, what was that about? BTS, why the fuck were they there? I mean... I don't one of them spoke, but they were all bloody there. Yeah, like, the what's Malala, um, who has I've not heard of in five years. I, um, Like, I didn't need the celebrity star fucking. I could have done with a much more down-to-earth documentary. Well, was fair. Part what? of it when they show people from all the different, you know... Uh, parts of the world about how how friends has like helped them. And, yeah. you know, it's been I literally wrong. would have preferred no games, no funny bits, just a really nice, sweet one-hour documentary. Them all talking about their favourite moments. Okay, fair enough. Ben, how good was it when they were reading through the scenes again? It, that was so cool. Well, I don't like the show. Like we need to. I need to remind you that. So I don't like the show. I hadn't seen any of the scenes. I wasn't ben, laughing. I've got my friend's coaster right here. Um, Now, I know we could talk about this for hours, but I honestly don't want to. Um, (laughs) Thanks. I I, can't say, right, I love the reunion. Ben's Ben's getting annoyed at me for going on about friends. Ben, you've just gone bloody on about Coelho DeVille, so I think I can talk about friends, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Ben, I kind of was hoping for a proper reunion follow-up episode. No, because I actually agree with what they said about I mean, unravelling the whole... Like, why do it? Why do it? Like, every sitcoms that wrap up nicely, why do you need a follow-on movie? It will just disappoint. It's like everyone who demands an Inbetweeners episode. I don't want that. I do not want... <laughs> I do. 
I do not want to watch men in their 30s saying the word bus face wanker. Like, and in <laughs> the same way, I do not want to watch a 50-year-old Phoebe. I do not want to watch Janet, Rachel and Ross married. I do not want to watch Chandler still being immature and Joey being a failed actor. Like, that was Hey, just, days of our lives! Like, that just seems... It just doesn't... I'd say, while we speak about the in-betweeners, in-betweeners bad, at least the Friends reunion was better than the in-betweeners one. Yep. The Friday night dinner reunion was good, though. I did, haven't seen that. Yeah, they did. It aired on Friday, so the day after, and it was like a 10-year best-of clips. Did they pay heads. tribute to... They did, uh, they did pay tribute to Paul Ritter, but it was kind of a bit awkward because most of the celebrities, they got on, and those were celebrities that worked, yeah? Because yeah. they were people like Niall Afanayaka, the Radio 6 uh, 5 Live afternoon host. Yeah. So they're people you know and you recognise, but they're not like Reese Witherspoon. Um, they're not ridiculous. They're not too famous for it to be effective. Um, right. So they all kind of were laughing about Paul Ritter, which felt a bit odd. But no, I thought that was a really well done. And it was an hour. Well, it was an hour with adverts. So, Yeah. I mean, fair enough. Ben, uh, what are you giving the Friends reunion out of five? I'm being generous today. Three stars. Let's go. I mean, you know, it's the lowest ranked one of the podcast, but considering Ben's previous hatred for Friends. It's not. I'll take that. It's not going to be. It's the lowest ranked one so far. (laughs) Ooh, that's going to keep the listeners hooked. Um, all right, Ben, what's next? We're going back to the cinemas. Yes, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, the third film in The Conjuring franchise. Now, this film sees Ed and Lorraine Warren. Uh, they're back, uh, played by Vera Famigo and Patrick Har- Wilson again. Um, and this time they're trying to do an exorcism out of an eight-year-old. Um, the eight-year-old then possesses uh, his girlfriend's brother and... In a true, and I'm doing big inverted commas here, true story, the brother then kills someone, goes on trial, and pleads, I didn't murder them, I was possessed by the devil. Now... I, I, I don't even know if I just heard that right. Yeah, that, that's the true story. Now, it's not true. Like, then from that you have Ed and the Rain Roaring in Is just, it based on a true story? It's, based on true stories but it's really not one thing could be and it's, real. it's one of the weird things the true story would have made such a better film um right instead what we get is this i always think this with the titanic the titanic would be such a better film if they didn't have all the pointless love shit in it <laughs> and then someone's trying to kill somebody it's like oh no it's just, yeah but ugh. yeah and in this film you have ed and lorraine warren trying to prove the that get demons and ghosts exist by going on a road trip to try and stop this woman who started the curse. Now, that's pretty dull because, firstly, ghosts and demons, demons don't exist. The devil doesn't exist. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there. And what happened in real life, yeah, was the court was laughed out of trial, yeah, despite yeah. their constant hard effect. So he had to plead by self-defence and only got manslaughter. Now, I would much prefer to watch a trial film about this case because trial films are great than to watch a by-the-number horror film of it. I think it took a true story, yeah, took all the interesting bits out of the true story (laughs) and made a by-the-number horror film. There was also some really interesting things about how Ed and Lorraine Warren 
basically attached themselves to this case as publicity uh, to try and, and they signed book deals and lecture tours and all of this that and the other off this real life law case and to watch not to have them portrayed as saints but actually as people who were a bit money grabbing would have been also really interesting so it's one of those things it's a fascinating true story that i hope there's a documentary on that i can find but did you enjoy the film mate no, I thought it was I thought it was forgettable. I thought some of the scares were good. The first half hour was really good before it went off the rails. Um and it just got a bit dull. And a yeah. bit by the numbers and a bit schlocky. And I think horror fans may enjoy it, but don't go in with high expectations. Uh Ben, what are you rating this man? Two. Two and I you think know it's bad when Ben, you know, bearing in mind how much he's loving being back in the cinemas gives something a two. You know that's when it's bad. And I think that and um, what's frustrating is the first twenty, thirty minutes was generally terrifying, generally exciting, could have been a three, four stars. And there's also a true story in there that could have been a five stars. So it just feels like well, an utter waste wasted. I think that's probably why it's also on the two stars. Yeah. At least it wasn't a one. Okay, Ben, let's talk about the two films. Oh, it could have been a one. Um, It was a great start saving it from a one. Ah, Okay, (laughs) all right. But the rest of the film, it's a one. Uh, Ben, let's talk about the two films that you saw back to back. You watched A Quiet Place 1, followed straight after by A Quiet Place 2. Was there a loo break in the middle? There was. The loo break was half an hour. Um, Firstly, what I will say is A Quiet Place 1 and 2, really smart to call the second one part 2 because it feels like a natural continuation on from the story. It takes place almost moments after the first film. Um, it's really good. Uh, look, everyone's seen A Quiet Place 1. Most people have. And that is a phenomenal film. And I was genuinely scared and crying when I watched it. And then the second film happened. And I kid you not, this is one of the best horror franchises out there. This might and be. That's a statement. I genuinely think this is Alien Aliens levels of the Terminator T2 levels of brilliance. Um, right. It, and the reason I brought those two franchises up, and I think the Alien comparison rings really true here. Alien is the story of one alien on a spaceship. Aliens is the story of a spaceship, and they have to fight multiple of the same alien. Right. Yeah. A Quiet Place 1 is the story of this family or in their farm trying to fight uh, these monsters. A Quiet Place 2 is the story of them, the same family, plus Killian Murphy, um, who's fantastic, tra- having to travel across um, the world, which they've not been in for five years. They've actively avoided to try and stop and still try and not get killed by these monsters. Um, it, once again, it's genuinely terrifying. There are some brilliant action sequences. Um, it sounds wonderful. It's the only film that can shut a cinema up, which is perfect. Um, the sound quality is still one of a kind, even though it wasn't as polished as I think I wanted it to be. Um, the performances are wonderful. Emily Blunt is still on top form. Killian Murphy is there. Um, Emily Blunt, I don't know how she won, didn't win more awards for A Quiet Place 1. Rewatching that in cinemas, that truly is. She did everything in that film. She cried, she gave birth. Um, A Quiet Place 2. Not literally. Yeah. 
A Quiet Place 2, she does a little bit less, um, but that's still fine. And I don't want there to be a third one. Because right. I don't... Is it kind of the same situation as to why you don't want there to be a Friends reunion? No, I didn't want there to be a Friends reunion because I didn't like Friends. Um, that's, that's why I don't want that happening. But the A Quiet Place films, and the two of them feel like a full, completed movie. Right. And they're both short. Like, that's one of the best things about both of these films. Um, with half an hour of trailers and half an hour and a 20-minute break in the middle, yeah? Yeah. I, the, I was in the cinema watching these films for about three and a half hours. Like, that's two films. That's not bad. No, they're both for like an hour and a half, That's hour really and 20 good, minutes. I, I, yeah, A Quiet Place I, 2 literally finished and I was like, it's over. Wow, that's a great film. Would it have worked as one big film? I don't think... I think it could have, and I'm sure people will edit it. And I think now people are hooked on the franchise. I think you should watch them both together. Um, right. You'll notice they're different films. But I think they could play one over the other very easily. I'm not sure why cinemas aren't doing it more. Um, it's just a wonderful wonderful film and I want to go back and watch it again uh, also the arcs are complete because the film's always been about parenting and about how can you look after your kids in an apocalyptic world and without spoiling the film the kids have grown up now and not literally I mean Noah Jupp did it's one of the things you notice if you're watching a double bill both the teenage actors hit puberty in the between the films, which one of them's meant to take place a day after the other, but the kids have been through puberty. But um, uh, you know that gets me every time. Yeah, it's it's the Harry Potter stuff where they. Oh my gosh, Harry Potter! Goblet of Fire! It's like Jesus Christ! Get your head cut, mate. The things about Harry Potter that I find hilarious. You follow them for like ten months of the year, ten, eleven months of the year, and they don't change. And in the one month you don't see them, they look completely <laughs> different. <laughs> But um, it is it is one of those things. But the kids, their arcs are complete. I'm sure we'll get more into the Quiet Place franchise. I know because I'm sh- the films do really well. The films in America, it grossed a good amount of money for a non-pandemic weekend. It's a Quiet Place two in America in three days beat what Tenet did in total. And Tenet was a huge film. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't as big a hit over there as it was over here because they had less cinemas open, this and that. But A Quiet Place 2, mammoth. It's doing mammoth box office. It's a huge hit for good reason. It is phenomenal. Ben, what are you ranking A Quiet Place 1 and what are you ranking A Quiet Place 2? Rating, rather. Well, they're both five and they're both five together. So, uh, let's give that a 10. Let's give it 15 (laughs) stars. 15 okay, out of 15. We've already spoken about six films on the podcast today. We've spoken about The Bad Batch. We've spoken about The Friends Reunion. We have still got one more film to discuss today. Ben, it's the film you literally, just under an hour ago, got back from watching at the cinema. Let's talk about The Father. <sighs> I have no idea if this is going to be a good review or a bad review based on that. <sighs> I have a 10-minute walk from my house to the cinema, which is probably why I've went five times in five days. But um, I was crying the entire way back. 
The wow. father is beautiful and phenomenal. And for anyone who thought that Chadwick Boseman was snubbed of the Oscars, and I don't think that scenario played out as well as it should have, they need to watch this film because Anthony Hopkins gives a once-in-a-generation performance that will be remembered forever as one of the best Oscar wins on quality alone. Narrative taking out of it, quality alone, he is fantastic. He plays a man who's in his 80s, and he has dementia. And it's really harrowing watching an actor you really like play someone who is so unwell. And that makes the final few scenes really heartbreaking. You have Olivia Coleman as playing his daughter, who um, moves him into her house to try and look after him and care for him because he can't get on with any of the carers that she gets him. And he's always rude to his daughter. He's horrible. He says things like, you see his daughter's the one who's caring for him, but he still goes, you're not my favourite daughter. You're manipulative. You're sniving. You're conniving. You're really horrible. Um, and you really connect with Olivia Colman's character, who is, she is one of the greatest actresses. I cannot believe people slept on her for so long because she's so versatile and she breaks you in this film. I mean, every aspect of the film breaks you. Um, also, it does this really, it has an unreliable narrator in Anthony Hopkins' Anthony, who has dementia. And the, I'm 90% certain, the first hour and 25 minutes all take place in the same 48-hour period. Um, but the scenes don't come in chronological order. You see bits of dialogue repeated in different places. You see them in different outfits. You see th that's a really interesting you way. See, of you see the flat coming. moving. Furniture pieces in the flat come and go, and it's confusing and it's uncomfortable, and it's difficult to follow because right. you're in his mind. But these scenes are emotional. You hear bits of dialogue twice. There are moments where he doesn't recognize his daughter and his son-in-law played by, who are originally played by Olivia Coleman and Rufus Sewell, but then you have Olivia Williams and Mark Gatliss, who both look like Olivia Coleman and Rufus Sewell, and they kind of play these two characters, who, they're basically the stand-ins for whenever Anthony Hopkins' character can't remember who he's seeing and doesn't remember the face, and he doesn't know who he's talking to, and he's scared and he's confused. And there was crying in the cinema from the last half hour constantly, including me. Um, it's one of the few films I've ever laughed and cried at in line deliveries. Genuinely the same line that can be said. I will cry at and I will laugh at. And I just feel like I've done an emotional roller coaster. It's wow. one of the best performances I've ever seen. It is a truly phenomenal piece of artwork and it needs to be seen in a cinema where you have no distractions. But it will hit home and it will hit hard for anyone who's had any experience of dementia. And I don't. I It hit hard for me on the pure fact that Anthony Hopkins looks a bit like my grandfather and my mum is Olivia Coleman's age. Like, that was enough to get me. 
I think it's so important that films like this, you know, raise awareness as well. I think you will be glad. It's 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 truly brutal, and I, I I admit that there were all five guys in the toilet afterwards. There were more than five people in the screening, but all five who were in the toilet afterwards were in tears. I mean, Ben, yeah, it just sounds incredible, incredible. How many stars were you giving? And Ben, thank you by the way for that extremely beautiful and somewhat moving review, man. Um, it's it's a five stars, and. Do you think, because I've given a lot of five stars, do you think we should just rank it off the cuff? So people know what order to watch it. Is that yeah. fair? Yeah. Okay. The Conjuring. This is just the just the cinema films. Yep. The Conjuring. Godzilla yeah. vs. Kong. Cruella. Now, I'm doing movements with my hands. From Cruella, these films are really, really good. Right. I'm definitely must watch. So it's The Conjuring... Don't don't watch. Godzilla vs. Kong. Watch if you have time. It's not really in many cinemas anymore. It was in there for a week. Um, Cruella. Go see it. It's incredible. Nomadland. I don't need 30 quid for it. Yeah, Nomadland. Watch on Disney+. Plus. Probably. It's on there for free. But make sure you watch it on your biggest screen possible. You turn your lights off. You turn any device you're not watching it on. It's your full, complete attention. Oh, how am I going to decide this? Um, if you're a horror fan and you're young and you do A Quiet Place 2, it's brilliant and moving and epic. If you want something a bit more serious, a bit more moving, go for The Father, which will break you. I mean, Ben, thank you very much. I don't think we've ever ended a podcast on such a sorry, like, no, I, I just feel a bit moved. I, I don't think I've ever nearly been crying sharing. at the end of a podcast, so... Yeah, I, Ben, just I, my respect for you has gone through the roof. The fact that you openly say that you were in tears after watching a film, like it does take, you know, it's still in this uh, in this age, day and age, like oh, men crying at a film. So Ben, thank you for for sharing that, and thank you for the lovely review. The review's going up. Um, the written review on the RT Film Podcast website. Probably first thing tomorrow morning. I, I don't. I, I'm Mate, not. I in look a, forward to reading that. I'm not in a state to write about this film yet. Um, no, <laughs> we need to digest it a bit more. Ben, thank you so much as ever. Thank you so much to you for listening. At Artiki Film on Twitter, uh, check out the Artiki Film website. Please leave a review. Please leave us a like or whatever. Subscribe to the podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and we will catch you next time on the podcast. Goodbye. Bye.